opportunity to come here today and, uh, and talk about God's word and to talk about God's work. And I want to begin by asking a question. I want to begin by a question which sounds simple, but it's much more complicated. Why is gospel outreach work so hard in so many places? Why is gospel outreach work so hard in so many places? Those of us who are Christians have a clear understanding of two aspects of God which we hold in balance. We hold in balance the idea that God is a holy, righteous, sin-hating God who punishes sin. And on the other hand, we have an understanding of God our Saviour who would have all men to be saved and to come to a saving knowledge of the truth. Their lives to be changed to have the assurance of living with Christ today and an inheritance that does not fade away, as we've had read to us. So if you've got those two messages to proclaim at one time, why are more people not coming to churches today? Why is it that whether it's in Little Over or Alastry, where I go to church, or around the country, so few people are coming? Whilst you think about that problem, can I raise to you a parallel problem? The health service tells us that we're overweight. It says that we eat the wrong food, we eat too much of the wrong food, we don't get enough exercise, we're really in a dangerous position, and now they even tell us that our expectation of life is diminishing with respect to time. So how many... You don't have to put your hands up. How many are going to run up Thorpe Cloud this afternoon? How many are members of the gym? No, you you don't have to answer that question at all. But there are two examples of where there are clear messages, challenging messages, where people don't pay attention. Now, I'm not a medic. I've never worked with the health service. I don't have to answer the second question, but I do think the first question is worthy of consideration. So if you've got a Bible, will you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6? I think with technology, the words are going to come up. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried out, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? 
And I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Many of us grew up as children with fairy stories, which began once upon a time. What we have read today is not once upon a time, it's rooted in history. It tells us this was the year that King Uzziah died. Now, in the interests of precision, Uzziah had not died when this revelation took place. Because if you read the first verse of chapter 1 of Isaiah, you find that Isaiah began his ministry during the time of Uzziah. So we can infer that Uzziah was about to die when this passage took place. And I want you to think about the consequences, the implications of Uzziah dying. Uzziah had reigned for 52 years. He had been king over all that time. He had initially been a good king by God's standards. His standards deteriorated. But he had been on the throne for 52 years, and it was inevitable that sooner or later, this man was going to die. Now, we've got a parallel in our country today, because we can look at our queen, who has reigned for longer than that. And if you worked in Buckingham Palace or Windsor Castle or whatever, you'd be starting to think, what are the implications when she passes away? We like her but she's going to die. What's going to happen? And if you want to take a specific example, if you're the bagpipe player who plays outside of her bedroom window every morning, allegedly, what's your job security going to be when she passes away? Now, now if that seems a trifling case, do realize that there are much bigger implications. And in the time of the death of Uzziah, This was a worrying time because the nation of Judah was not a powerful nation. Geopolitically, they were weak. They had the Assyrians to the north. They had the Egyptians to the south. Neither of these people were allies of them. And further east, there was Babylon. So they were in a vulnerable position. So even though Uzziah may not have died at the beginning of verse 1, He was about to die. So we have a period of uncertainty, a national crisis looming. And I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Get that message. Understand that. Be excited by that. In a changing world, in a world of uncertainty, Isaiah probably a young man, saw a vision of a glorified king, lord, sovereign, who was over all. There was such a stark contrast to the uncertainty, but here he sees this one whose robe filled the temple. 
And here were these seraphs, and they had a message. They had a message. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The children of Israel from the Psalms had a clear understanding that the heavens declare the glory of God. Isaiah would have known that. He would have been an educated man. He would have understood that. And now he's being told that the whole earth is full of God's glory. But he's also meeting a holy God. Three times these seraphs say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. We use the word awesome too much in Britain. It's a common word. It's overworked. But this was an awesome situation. It was full of awe. It was a frightening situation. Here was a man standing before God that day who could only do one thing. Woe to me, he cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. Now, if you've read the first five chapters of Isaiah, you have some understanding of how far those people had departed from God's word how far they had departed from God's law, they were a long way away. And so Isaiah identified with those people, identified with their hopelessness, their inadequacies. The understanding of God being holy is one that went back a long way for the children of Israel. Think about Mount Sinai and the frightening holiness of God there when Moses went there and the consequences of the children of Israel sinning, making a golden calf move on a number of years to the children of Israel getting into the promised land and somebody thinks what a good idea it would be to bring the, the ark of the covenant to its rightful place and somebody sees the ark wobbling the cart, tilting a bit and reaches up to stop the ark falling off this is a person who's not of the right tribe. He's not a Levite. He touches the ark, and because of the holiness of God, he dies. He was just doing a practical thing. He was just being helpful. But the children of Israel had an understanding of a holy God. And here is now our friend Isaiah standing, seeing this. And in the midst of all that, one of these seraphs comes along, takes a coal, touches his lips... And he says, see, this has touched your lips, your guilt has taken away, and your sin atoned for. Just as the children had an un- of Israel had an understanding of the holiness of God, so they had an understanding of a God who wanted to heal, who wanted to help, who wanted to forgive. They knew full well the messages of the system when they were in the wilderness of being told about a sheep or lamb that was going to take away the sins of the world they understood take away their sins sorry and they understood that and they rejoiced in that but now this man's sins are being removed it's no accident that the name Isaiah means the Lord saves it wasn't an accident it I don't think the name David or Mike or whatever has particular significance. Probably his parents didn't think very much about the name when they were naming this cherubic infant. But this was important. Amos had called his baby, the Lord saves. Jesus saves. This was the message that went with his name. And here this was 
be implemented in the case of Isaiah. And the voice of the Lord says, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And like some exuberant child who's just found out how to get into the tuck shop, this chap jumps up and says, I'll go, I'll do that, that's what I'm committed to. And that's wonderful. And that question goes to all of us, and we all have to think of the answer we're going to give to that. And then we come to these challenging words, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Was God really wanting to make Isaiah's message ineffective? Was he trying to hinder the man? Was he putting him into a race, having tied his legs together so that he couldn't run very quickly? No, it was a recognition of the real challenge of putting a message before people over and over again, and they become hardened, they become determined not to listen. And that's why I mentioned the example of the health service, because we've all heard good arguments, and we don't take them on board, but I'm I'm not here to to promote the health service today, but we can see parallels of this. But please just look at the detail here in verse 10. We read, make the heart, make their ears, close their eyes, and then the reverse... Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. This was a Hebrew literary technique. Because if you follow, we've gone from hearts to ears to eyes, and then we've gone the reverse of that with eyes and ears and hearts. This is the message that God wants. This is what he wants, that they will turn and be healed. This is what he wanted to achieve then, at the time of Uzziah's death. This is what he wanted to achieve for all the rest of the time of Isaiah's life and ministry. These words are challenging words. But you will find them in Matthew's Gospel. You will find them in Mark's Gospel. You will find them in Luke's Gospel. You will find them in John's Gospel. And you will find them at the end of Acts. So five times in the New Testament, these words come again. Matthew, Mark and Luke tell the story of the parable of the sower. The sower goes forth to sow. uh, And the first part of the parable we're told about one person, one seed, four different grounds, four different results. And then in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the the disciples go to the Lord and say, please talk to us, please tell us, what does this mean? What is the relevance of this? And he goes to this passage because it is important, because it is challenging. How do you get a message over to people who are hardened, 
who have heard all sorts of reasons why they don't need to pay attention. But God is wanting that word to get over. As I, towards the end in chapter 55, God says, my word will not return to me void, but it will accomplish the purposes I want. God is wanting to have that message taken up by the people. When the Lord Jesus sent the disciples out, sent the the twelve out, he said, I am sending you as sheep amongst wolves. And the Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says the God of this world has blinded the minds of people that don't believe. Now, tomorrow morning, I imagine, around the country, lots of people are taking up a new job with the sales department. And they're going there, and their new employer is saying, welcome, here's a pile of brochures, here's some information about the product, here's the keys for the company car, off you go. But none of them say, I am sending you out as sheep amongst wolves, and none of them is being told that the God of this world has blinded the minds of people. So, Clearly through scripture, there is a clear warning of the challenges that we face. We're not involved in Christian work and have any right to claim trades descriptions offense. We have been told it's a hard job. And when you look around, you see the challenges that there are today. I'm going to use my words carefully, please bear with me, but I I think we live in times of prosperity, and I'm sure you can immediately say there are lots of people that aren't in prosperity today, but, but, but if people have moderate jobs, moderate incomes, reasonable health, they have no need to look around in their minds to see something else, to see a dimension beyond what they see. There is stability in their lives. Sadly, I have it in my own family. I see this. I see it in Alastry. I guess you see it in Littleover as well. The the comfort, the security of, of jobs, pensions, prosperity blinds the minds of people and they don't turn. The Lord Jesus mentions this in chapter 12 of John's Gospel when he's talking to the Jews about how they have resisted. And the Apostle Paul quotes this to the Jewish rulers in Rome when he's arrived there in his house, he's settled in, and he says, look, you've resisted all this message, you've turned your heart, we're going to go and work with the Gentiles. So there's a long history of people struggling, putting forward a message, finding it hard. But I go back to the beginning King Uzziah was dying and Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up and his glory filled the earth. That's the message. That's the assurance for the Christians of Little Over Methodist Church. That's the assurance of Christians working around the world, Romania, wherever, that the Lord is high and lifted up. He does have a means of salvation. He does want to bring eternal blessing and people will get the benefit of that. So it is a message which is a challenging message, but I think it is also an encouraging message that it is God's work and God has promised, we've just sung about his promises, 
God's promise is that his word will return to him successfully because God has an interest in this. God wants people to turn and to be healed. And this is the encouraging theme that there is today. I want to tell you about a woman called Yvonne Edwards. Yvonne Edwards, in her words, uh, had was born into a home of good parents who loved her. They were really jolly nice people. They didn't deserve her because, in her words, she was a wild child. She was rebellious. She kicked over the traces. She didn't do whatever her parents wanted them to do. She went to school. She got a good job. As soon as work was finished at the end of the day, she was out partying. She eventually married. Her husband was a loving guy. They had three children. She was hitting the drugs. She was hitting the alcohol. And she ended up in a clinic because her loving husband had a health care package which enabled her to go into a clinic. And she went in there. And after some time, she realized that she had gone four days without any drugs or any alcohol. And she thought, this is great. When I get out, I'll need some new clothes. So she looked round for a Vogue magazine. And yes, you've worked it out. There was no Vogue magazine there. Uh, There was a Gideon Bible like this. And she picked up this Gideon Bible and it fell open to Luke chapter 7. And she read there about a woman going to a party where Jesus was. A woman of uncertain situation going to this party and this woman had a sense of the holiness of God the holiness of Jesus and she cried and her tears wiped his feet and as Yvonne Edwards read this story she saw that was about her just as Isaiah had seen this happening and and realized his precarious position before God so this woman in Luke chapter 7 realized this And so Yvonne Edwards realized it some years ago. And she bowed down, crying and weeping. Her sins were forgiven, and she's gone on rejoicing, and she became a Gideon last year, and she came to a Gideon convention to tell us about the work and to say thank you for what was happening in her lives. And I share that with you by way of encouragement. I guess most people here are familiar with the Gideons. You've been in hotels, you've seen Bibles like this, you've perhaps been at school uh, and, and had a New Testament like this, or your children have, or perhaps you've been in hospital and you've seen a Testament like this. Uh, by far, that is the majority of the work that we do. Over many years, Gideon's been working in Britain for 70 years, and those three lines are the main activity. And it's good to bear witness here uh, of going into Little Over School down the road and meeting Tim Green from this church, uh, and the link between yourselves, Gideon's uh, Christian head of art in that school, and the opportunity to hand out testaments there. But when we were giving testaments out to soldiers, the army said, look, it's not a very good idea giving a bright red book out to soldiers who are going to be on the battlefield. Could you give out testaments in camouflage? So we said, yes, we'll do that. 
And then we found that every regiment has a, a, a logo, a badge, and they said, do you think you could put our regimental crest on, on the front here? So he said, yes, we can. And whilst soldiers were going out to Iraq and Afghanistan, we gave out something like 200,000 testaments to soldiers because they were going out to very difficult circumstances. They took a copy for themselves. They took a copy for their mothers, their wives, their girlfriends, whatever. And there was this esprit de corps that linked the family at home, the soldiers on the battlefield, and they went with Gideon Testaments. The one I'm holding in front of me here is an Army Cadet Testament. And I have that because uh, a curate from Ilkeston is, was going off yesterday to be padre at an Army Cadet camp in, in Catrick area and she's taken over 300 testaments. Now, please be encouraged that the army employs padres. Please be encouraged that the army is happy to encourage soldiers and cadets to get testaments. Isn't that amazing? Because if, when you read the papers, you might get the impression that the secular society around the world isn't interested in that. But it goes beyond that. Because having done this, we realized... Could we go to other organizations? Are there other organizations which would have testaments with their logo on? So your neighbors, there might be erstwhile neighbors now, I'm not certain, Derbyshire Fire and Rescue Service, have badge testaments. Derbyshire Police have, fire, have badge testaments. And uh, we realized that there's, there's a sports club in Derby. You might know this called Derby County Football Club. They follow the RAM. We follow the lamb, but by, what, but by one means or another, we're interested in giving out testaments so that people will understand that. We do this through the chaplain. If you're not involved in the inside workings of sports clubs, all the sp major sports clubs seem to have chaplains. And there's a chaplain for Derby County Football Club, and we went to him. We had discussions with them. And uh, we said, look, we, we could bring a testament like this and we could put your badge on the front. They said, you can't bring a red covered book to Derby County. That's verboten. So we said, all right, well, we'll get a black one. Because what we've done is we've got that block, which is the same for all testaments. And you, having got that block, you then bind it. But let me tell you about a development that we've embarked on. Those of you who are, uh, have any understanding of the farming world realize that the farming world today faces a lot of challenges. There are lots of farmers working by themselves in isolation. They live physically remote. It, it's a hard job. And Farming Christian Link is an organization which, as the name implies, tries to develop a link with them. And so one of the people is a Gideon, and we've developed a testament to cover the New Testament, the seed of life. And uh, recently we were at the uh, Derbyshire County show at Elberston Castle. We're planning to go in a fortnight's time to Ashbourne show. We're going to Brailsford ploughing match. Ploughing matches may not be on your horizon. 
But it is important. It's another opportunity to meet people and present to them a copy of the Word of God. Farming Christian Link have been doing this for a long time at Agricultural Shows. They have a package of Christian literature. They have a little quiz for children. The Christian literature is given out. Then there's a testament. And we have been very encouraged by working with them, finding another opportunity. And you see, all of those opportunities uh, of badge testaments, uh, different organizations, the railway mission has been very successful in going out, giving out testaments, because railway employees seem to have a, a willingness to talk about Christian matters, which doesn't apply in other industries. Uh, workplace chaplaincy in Derbyshire has testaments which they give out at Rolls-Royce and a whole range of different organisations. And we find this tremendously important because the main areas of our activity that you would recognise, that is of giving out Bibles in hotels, testaments and schools, is increasingly difficult. In the last 10 years, in this area of (coughs) South Derbyshire, we're giving out 25% less testaments at school than we were giving out 10 years ago. That's not because Gideons aren't working hard, they've got the means, they've got the people, they want to do it, but more and more schools are saying, no, we don't want you. Uh, We live in a day and age when politicians say, we must promote British values. Now, what are British values? That, that's a big question, that, what are British values? Because all sorts of discussions as to what British values are. But you would think it would be reasonable as part of British values to give every child a book which has played a big part in the history of the development of Britain and all its systems and services. And that is increasingly difficult to do. I mentioned that we go into Little Over School. Uh, we go to... Derby High School across the road but it's almost 10 years since we were in Derby Moore School if you've got children there or grandchildren there come and talk to me afterwards as to how we get into Derby Moore School I don't know of any Christian work going on with Derby Moore School there might be but I'd love to hear about it uh, City of Derby Academy it's in Sinfin no, not able to get in there I have to be objective and say that every time we do get into a school, I'm absolutely amazed at the opportunity that we have. Take John Port School, 350 pupils join every year, and we get the chance for 10 minutes to go and talk to them about this book, tell them about the helps at the front, tell them about the way of salvation, all in 10 minutes, and we get that opportunity. Now, if my hobby were growing begonias or keeping bees or something like that, we would never get into the school. But we do have those opportunities, and we're delighted at that. I mentioned hospital testaments and the challenges that there are with hospital testaments today. Did you know that germs like Gideon Bibles, Gideon Testaments, because one of the reasons we were told we couldn't put testaments in was because there were germs, they attracted germs. Uh, germs don't seem to be interested in the Mills and Boom novels and things like that. <laughs> Sorry, this is deadly serious, this. The, the, they're not attracted to those, 
So now we've said, all right, we'll produce testaments with a plastic shrink wrapping around it, with a notice on it says, you're welcome to t- open this up and read it, and when you go home, please take it with you. Somebody had given a lot of thought to the wording on that. But it's a challenge to get in. If any of you are uh, chaplains for Derby Royal Hospital or you have high-level contacts there, please can you help us to get more testaments in bedside lockers there. My daughter is a medical director of a hospital in the West Midlands. And she phoned me one morning and she said, look, Dad, I'm going to an executive meeting and one of the issues is we want to take all the testaments out of the bedside lockers in this hospital. So at the end of the day, she phones me back and she says, went there, the diversity officer said that we really can't have testaments because that gives a message and we really mustn't offend other people. The chaplain there said, the Gideons are great people. They come along every year. They stock up the testaments and so on. My daughter, credit to her, said, I'm a Christian. My dad's a Gideon. I know all about this work. But the diversity officer won the day. This is the God of this world, blinding that mind to them that believe not. But afterwards, the chaplain said to the diversity officer, I really think we ought to check how much of a problem it is having these testaments in bedside lockers. So they did a survey. And I think 61 of the 62 people asked said they didn't care. One person said, doesn't make any difference to me. So really, a not very good recommendation from the Gideon's point of view, But the diversity officer realized this was not a problem. So therefore the testaments have stayed. So so please be encouraged by this, that that God is working and there are opportunities. On the table at the back, we have some leaflets about hotels. Uh, if If you stay in a hotel and it doesn't have a Gideon Bible in it, please go and ask the staff for a Gideon Bible. Some might say, oh, we've got them at the front desk, underneath the cover of the front desk. Some will say, oh, no, we don't have them. But at least get the staff to realize that people are interested in Gideon Bibles. If they still resist, write to the national office, and we'll try and get somebody to go and raise with the manager the idea of having testaments. Uh, A few years ago, some Christians went to Spring Harvest at one of Butland's properties, They found no Bibles in the bedside lockers there. So they complained, and as a result of that, by the October, we delivered 5,000 Bibles to Butlins. So God is working. There are opportunities. Please be encouraged by this. I want to close by telling you about Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, in his words, was born into a working-class godless Manchester family. Working class, godless Manchester family. He went to school, he got a job, he got a girlfriend, they got married. She was expecting their first child and suddenly he wanted to know about God. He talked to his wife 
recognizing that he'd come from a godless family, his words, she couldn't help, they couldn't help, but she said, well, I was given a testament when I was a nurse. So why don't you read that testament? So he sat down and he read the testament. And whereas we have plunged into the middle of the Old Testament to read from Isaiah, he thought you had to start at the beginning. So he started to read Matthew's Gospel. And as he read Matthew's Gospel, he fell in love with Jesus. His words, not the words quite which we would mean by that, but he fell in love with Jesus. And you know, as he read further in this book, he found that the Romans killed his hero. He had never heard that before. Fortunately, he was able to get in touch with some Christians who showed him the way of life. Forty years later, church leader in Manchester today. All because somebody gave out a testament, God's promise, my word shall not return to me void. And God is working, God is changing lives. The, the example of John and Jeffrey, Jeff Evans it is like so many, that there is a total disconnect in time between the giving of the testament and it being read. A disconnect between who it was given to and who receives it. The work appears spaz, uh, haphazard, but it is God's work. Please be encouraged by it. Please pray about this work. Later on we're going to sing words of Charles Wesley about his eyes being opened. The thing that we read about from Isaiah chapter 6 was worked out in the life of Charles Wesley, as you all know, and we pray that it will work out today. Thank you for your attention. Oh, I should mention there's a, there's a friend's organization which we've got to tell people about it and send the magazine, and I'll be at the back and, and talk about it.